Welcome to Still Dead from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert and top suspect on the Who Killed Merle list, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm researcher Dr. Kelly Jones. And honey, I've never been better. <laughs> and we're here today to talk about Angel Season 3, Episodes 3 and 4, This Old Gang of Mine, and Carpe Noctum, both of which are skippers. If you want to live, you're going to have to kill this vamp. Or maybe let's just raise the stakes. In this old gang of mine, Gunn's loyalties are torn when his former crew escalates from defending people against vampires to gleefully hunting any demon they can find, dangerous or not. Wesley's leading the investigation, but Gunn figures out the answer first and keeps the truth from Wes. Gio and Rondell lead the crew in an attack against Caritas, armed with automatic weapons, and take way too much joy in hurting and tormenting demons or the humans who protect them. Gio wants Angel dead, but he wants Gunn to be the one who kills him. They send Cordelia out to bring Angel back to Caritas, and after warning Angel, she goes to the Furies to beg them to lift the Sanctuary spell so Angel can fight. The Furies lift the spell in exchange for what sounds like a roll in the hay with Angel and not the fun left you in a burning barn to die kind, and Angel and team manage to fight their way free. A demon decapitates Geo, and Gunn and Rondell reach a parting of the ways. Wesley threatens to fire Gunn if Gunn ever keeps information like that away from the team again. Gunn and Angel have a hard conversation. Gunn thinks he just proved that Angel can trust him, since he had a chance to kill Angel but fought for him instead. But Angel says no. He'll know he can trust Gunn when the day comes that Gunn has to kill him, and he does. This Old Gang of Mine aired on October 8th, 2001. It was directed by Fred Keller and written by Tim Minear. All right, Dr. Jones, on the perfect happiness scale, randomly going from zero at stake this to six at lost your soul, what you got for this one? <laughs> okay, so I gave this a three, but I think I'm being very unfair. Okay. Because it's a very smart, emotionally charged episode. Mm -hmm. It's well written. It's well constructed. I like seeing Gunn's story play out. I like the tension with Gunn and Wes and Gunn and Angel. I love Wesley in this episode. Yeah. So it's a good episode and probably deserves a lot more than a three. But it hits me so hard. And it's so hard to watch that I don't rewatch it unless I have to. And I had mm -hmm. actually blocked out or forgotten most of this. Um, and it was like nightmare triggering for me. Oh, so, no, God, I'm uh, so sorry. Yeah, I mean, not like in a terrible way, but and, and we've seen violence on this show before, but mm -hmm. there was something about this episode that just rattled me. And oh, so no. the three is just my personal happiness scale but and has nothing to is. do. It's yeah. personal happiness scale. But I feel you really can, bad to be like, this you is a can do it whatever you want. <laughs> this is a good episode, but I think we need to see other people. <laughs> oh, you know what? If you don't like it, there are other people out there who will love it enough for you. So that's fine. <laughs> um, I gave it a four. I think this is a good, solid episode. It's got nice escalations. It's got some great character moments and it's got a feature story for Gun, which is something we've really needed for a long time. We're mm -hmm. dealing with the law of his sister and the loss of his community. Um, it's not a skipper because it's bad. It's a skipper because it doesn't move the bigger stories forward and you can skip it without really missing anything, which is the whole point of the skipper and the watcher. People get upset when we decide that you can skip some episodes. It's not about the quality of the episode. There are some real stinkers that are going to be watchers because they're like essential or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, 
But this one I thought was pretty good. But I only gave it a four because while it's good and it's definitely like a competent piece of storytelling, which I appreciate, it doesn't delight me enough to get a five or a six. In order to delight me, you have to be better than like competent, you know, yeah. and then just like a good standard story. Um, but this one is solid. And I think it's well written <laughs> and I really enjoy it. And it is so nice to see Gunn getting a feature story rather than just being the guy telling the jokes in the background. Yes, I totally agree with that although it completely delights me that the only way to get a six on angel for you is to be a muppet when you in fact hate muppets <laughs> you know what the irony of that is not beyond me like, i picked up on that um but yeah like I, I i'm saving my sixes for the stuff that i just absolutely love and would watch over and over and over again i have a feeling we're gonna have to wait until angel's a muppet for that although there's lots of really good stuff so i don't know we'll see as we go through because there is good stuff coming but today we are going going to talk about that old gang of mine and um moments of perfect happiness dr jones what delighted you in this episode so i was truly delighted in seeing again that gun is a damn good fighter mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. the the fight scenes that we see with him were incredibly well choreographed and like i just really appreciated seeing that and seeing him not be sidekick or not be yeah support you know like he yeah. is he is mm -hmm. truly a warrior and i think that that came out really well yeah and i like the initial moments between gun and rondell you know when he yeah. said I, I couldn't keep my own sister safe and mm -hmm. there's genuine care and friendship between those two and so i really hated that you know a misguided mission and divided loyalties tear them apart Right. Um, mm -hmm. I like Gunn smiling when Fred was singing Patsy Cline. Yeah. Like, there was a moment of real tenderness there. Mm -hmm. And I sing even worse than Fred. So for someone to <laughs> smile like that while she's singing, uh, I was uh, like, oh, very sweet. <laughs> and but probably my favorite exchange in this was between Gunn and Lorne. Oh, and yeah. Gunn said, hey, don't go reading me. And Lauren was like, I wouldn't, but sweetie, you're a billboard. And all I could think was I wanted Gunn on stage singing to Elton John, don't go reading my soul right. instead of don't go breaking my heart. <laughs> like, that would have been really great. Yeah, no, that would be yeah. really fun. Yeah. And then I, I really appreciated Gunn standing in front of Lauren when yeah. they were pointing the gun mm -hmm. at him. I thought that that was really great. I don't I don't know that Gunn is completely sold on Lorne. Yeah. I don't think the mm -hmm. two of them have reached friendship space. But right. I like that he was willing to take a bullet for him. Yeah, and he knows that Lorne is a solid guy. Yeah. You know, I mean, they've been on adventures together. It's just that Gunn has, a, like, it's taken him a little time to kind of get used to this idea of good demons, you know? Yeah. So what about you? Where oh. were your moments of perfect happiness with Gunn? I mean, I, I like Gunn's story. I love the fact that we um, that we gave him a story, that he's got mm -hmm. his stuff going on, that we're dealing with his sister and that loss, which I think was really important and something that we did kind of glaze over a little bit. Every now and again, we go back and revisit Gunn's trauma a little bit, but not a whole lot. And I think that's okay because the things that you're truly vulnerable with are the things you often don't really talk about, especially Gunn seems like that kind of guy. Um, so I'm okay with Gunn not opening up and every episode and being like, when I lost my sister, like, that's fine, you know? Um, but I do like that we haven't forgotten that that happened to him, that we haven't forgotten that vampires did that to him, that he's having this real struggle, you know? 
he was uh, saving his community and his community was being attacked and there was nobody there helping him. The police attacked his community. I mean, it was really, really rough. And his mm -hmm. team is the only thing basically protecting, you know, that neighborhood. Um, and so his, you know, when he had to choose during the Pilea fever dream, you know, between his, <laughs> his community and going to save Cordelia with, uh, you know, with Wesley and, um, and uh, an angel and Lorne. Um, then I thought that that was like a really important choice for him, but we can't forget how much he's lost in that process. Mm -hmm. So I really like the fact that we have that, um, that we have that story for him, that he's not just the funny guy, you know, making quips and kicking ass, you know, um, that yeah. there's, there's more going on there. Um, I love that he's still unsure how he feels about angel. You know, mm -hmm. and I think that that's really good and um, and understandable. And I like that he's got that that bit of internal conflict that none of this is really easy for him. And when he makes these choices, you know, it means a lot. Um, but I think my my favorite part with Gunn in this episode was um, at the end with Angel. Where mm -hmm. he says, you know, I could have killed you and I didn't. And that should prove that you can trust me. And then Angel's like, no, you know, you'll prove that I can trust you when you have to kill me and you do. You know, yeah. and that is something that Angel puts out there with everybody, you know, mm -hmm. that someday if you have to kill me, that's what I need you to do. And that's what I want you to do. And that's a tough space to be in. But it also shows, you know, Angel's faith in gun, you yeah. know, that he would he I mean, it seems weird that like the you know, the people he trusts and loves most are the ones that he wants to kill him. Um, but that's that's what he needs from them, you know, so mm -hmm. that he knows that they won't let him hurt anyone, you know. Right. Yeah. And so um, I really, really like that a lot. Um, I also absolutely loved Fred in this episode so much. I oh, love, hell yes. <laughs> she's got all this stuff. She's so freaked out. She's, you know, scared of her own shadow. She's so nervous. They get in that situation. You see her just kind of curling up and like Wesley. Oh, God, I loved Wesley was holding her hand. Wesley was, mm -hmm. you know, holding her and comforting her and, you know, like uh, helping to, to make her feel as safe as he could. Um, this whole thing was so great. And then at the end. She, you know, they're like, well, somebody's going to, you know, kill this vampire. And she just picks up the crossbow and you completely <laughs> think that she's going to shoot Angel because she's scared and you would understand. And then when she turns it on him, she's like, although I thought I might just shoot you in the throat instead. Now, if I pierce one of your carotid arteries, considering the temperature in here, because I think somebody shot the thermostat, the blood loss is going to be heavy. And there's a better and fair chance I'll puncture a vocal cord and you won't even be able to scream. But you'll want to when the blood loss to your brain results in a cerebrovascular event. That's a stroke. I wasn't trying to sound snooty. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I cheered out loud. Oh like, my God, that was, and at the end, I wasn't trying to sound snooty. Like, that's the Texas coming out in this girl. It was so great and you know we haven't had we've seen how tough fred is because we saw what mm -hmm. she lived through in pilea you know but since she came back we haven't really had a chance to see her tested you know in an environment of of battle you know with this team and she yeah. just completely stepped up and played mm -hmm. that role so well and i know that that is the moment that both gun and wesley fell in love with her Oh, Maybe even no mourn a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And I wondered if Lorne knew it was coming because she had just been singing and he was reading mm -hmm. her. Yeah. Can he see like... Can he see future events? 
Yeah, because if he could, I think he would have been like, oh, somebody's about to like raid this place. Let's shut it down or whatever. So I don't think yeah. he would have seen the attack. But he could probably see her heart. And like he would see, yeah. you know, what kind of person she is. And he mm -hmm. may have like when she picked up that crossbow, known exactly what she was going to do. Yeah. So what is the shape of our love triangle? We've got like <laughs> Wes and Gunn are both kind of having feelings for Fred, who's making yeah. puppy eyes at Angel, who's sort of kind in of... In love with Cordy. In love with Cordelia. Clearly in love <laughs> so with Cordy. What? Whether or not he knows it or not, he is yeah. clearly in love with Cordy. <laughs> yes. So what shape are we getting to now? <laughs> I, is it a I don't rhombus? Know. I don't know. I'm not oh mathematical. God. I have no idea what it is. It it's is some sort of polygon. Rhombus. I know that. Oh. <laughs> okay, but that yeah. cracks me up. <laughs> It's, it's a lot of fun it. to see the love shooting out in all these different directions. But oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's it really, is. really and sweet. And we haven't seen it that much from Wesley. You see Gunn looking at Fred. You know, yeah. and Wesley seems just really protective. But man, he's got his arm around her. He's holding her mm -hmm. hand during this thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's so good and so sweet. And, you know, I just the, the Wesley Gunn and Fred thing. You know, you, yeah. right now you see it coming like a train coming down the mm -hmm. tracks. Like, yep. <laughs> and I gotta say though speaking of like good shapes and like mm -hmm. love oh mm -hmm. my god did I love Wesley in this episode and I, I am with know. you on the hair yes, and right? I am now fully on board cheering with you because this is the emergence of Dark Wesley this he, is the beginning of it yes he was so great during this attack when he told Rondell he's like if you kill me make it a clean shot Yes. Because the last time I was wounded, it took forever. And I'm pretty sure I was wounded helping you. And I was like, damn, Wes. Like, exactly. Wes he was got so some great. brass ones. He yes. really does. And he's so like, and I think honestly, like if you talk about where darkness comes from, right? I mean, darkness comes from trauma. Mm -hmm. And Wesley's been through some stuff, but like getting shot in the gut, you know, mm -hmm. like that is a traumatic event for him. And that has turned him a little darker, a little tougher. You know, yeah. like in Pylea, where he's like, yeah, some of them are going to die, but if you try not to get anyone killed, you get everyone killed, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, we're seeing this um, more ruthless kind of version of Wesley, and I am so glad to be rid of goofy Wesley. Oh, me you too. You know, because I, I love that guy, but I love this guy a million times more. He's just full-on badass, and he is not afraid of anybody. No, and what I love about it is there's two things happening parallel here there's two things happening concurrently mm -hmm. so he's becoming this this darker edgier badass mm -hmm. but at the same time he is deepening as a thinker and as a yeah. scholar so like his his method of collecting evidence is is increasing he's developing yeah. a process he's yeah you have little evidence bags and everything yeah, yeah. and and i really love that he's becoming mm -hmm. more observant he's talking less and watching more yeah and and he's really bringing some of these deeper questions like when he was telling gun whoever's doing this is not yeah. discriminating between yeah. a demon that does no harm and a demon that would kill people right. and when gun says well when we find them are we going to thank them or are we going to fight them and and wesley says very honestly i don't know right but like he's keeping that door open mm -hmm. to the fact that not all of these are clean and easy answers and he's mm -hmm. doing that in a way that it just shows a lot of growth on his part as a yeah. person but also like in that role as scholar as like mm -hmm. the philosophical grounding for this team 
and girl <laughs> yeah i am all about it <laughs> i know it's so fantastic i love when he says you know he's talking about angel the geo and he said when he did his pleasure killing he had no soul you can make no such claim like he is he's so tough you yeah. know and he's he will stand up to anybody he's not afraid of anything i i love this Wesley and then at the end like the thing is too though that there's a certain coldness that is coming with that mm -hmm. you know when Gunn is talking to him and Gunn you know clearly feels terrible he feels like no matter what he's going to betray somebody he's gone through this whole thing and he talks to Wesley and Wesley's like yes I completely understand but you do that shit again I'm gonna fire you you know yeah. and that's it you'll be out on the street and he makes a he makes a point he doesn't just say I'm gonna fire you he goes through and paints the whole picture of like yep. what it's gonna he be like you know defining and, his terms um, <laughs> yeah like I I liked it I like mm -hmm. Wesley and I like that we have you know kind of this inflection point when he got shot where he turned darker I mean I think it started when Angel fired them you know um yeah and and then you know he gets shot and that darkens him some more and like every traumatic experience for Wesley brings him closer and closer and closer to that really dark space and man i am here for it i love it <laughs> oh yeah me too me too and i had yeah. i had one moment um with lorne that mm -hmm. just really stood out yeah. when he read geo which first of all was badass as hell mhm mm and then Geo punched him, and he came back with that <gasps> smile. Yes, with the blood oh, in his teeth, and he just oh, smiles at smiled. him. And I thought, hello, Dark Lorne. I know, <laughs> I like it. Lorne, Lorne is awesome. Yeah. Lorne is, um, he's tough, he's sexy, he's manly, but he's, you know, emotional and connected. And not that, that you can't be both masculine and emotionally connected, but it's not something that we get in mm -hmm. our storytelling as much when you have men who are emotionally connected they're often portrayed as effeminate and the thing is is that even you know he does have a feminine side to him he does have some of those like you know um traditionally feminine characteristics he calls people sweetie and he's got this you know way that he speaks um but what i love about him is that he is that doesn't make him any less of what he is. Like all of it together makes him more than what he is, which is something that we don't, and traditionally in our storytelling, have not had a space for people who kind of straddle traditional gender quality lines, right? You know? Yeah. And by quality, I mean characteristics, not like, you know, whether you're good or bad or whatever. Um, and so having these, these characteristics from both sides of the gender line and not being portrayed as anything lesser, anything, you know, um, weird or aberrant or wrong, like that he is still tough and badass and sexy, even green in the horns, you know, like oh, he's yeah. just, he's got everything. <laughs> and I, I really, really like that because it honestly, even though he's a demon and he is essentially othered by being a demon, um, his, his core characteristics are treated with respect. Like he mm -hmm. is a character that we respect and we love and he's not diminished by this which is something that is so rarely seen and um so i mean i love lorne for a million different reasons but i love that because it gives it gives a place where you can look at somebody who isn't traditionally you know all masculine all feminine is is just kind of like you know a spreading himself across that spectrum comfortably yeah. and respected and i love yeah. that 
And I love that, you know, he may be our best example of like a deeply evolved human. Yes. And he is, in fact, a demon. Yes. And I love that. Yeah. No, I mean, he really is. Out of all of the people, he has this incredible humanity and he's Mm -hmm. a demon. But of course, all demons are, you know, human coded. For the most yeah. part, aside from yeah. the, like, the really I'm just saying, monstrous if, ones. But. If you like take Maslow's pyramid and you like caricature it out, Lauren's kind of sitting at the very top drinking a sea breeze. No, and he I dig really it. Is. <laughs> and he's so comfortable with who he is, which I love. Mm-hmm. You know, I love the way he dresses. I love the way he talks. I love the fact that he can pull from this wide range of human expression and not be seen as lesser. Yeah. You know, that he is respected for all of it. And that is something that honestly, from a show as heteronormative as Angel and Mm -hmm. and the general Joss Whedon, you know, shows that were out at this time, like that is kind of magical. Yeah, it is. I love it. And and like, I think there was some of this when we talk about somebody being like their truest self. Yeah. That is so great to watch. I got some of that from Angel. Mm-hmm. in this and some of it was on the funny side and some of it was on the serious side yeah. but I mean and first of all I felt terrible because I forgot that somebody killed Merle oh right. and and I was like oh I'm sorry Merle oh, and then I thought Merle, we hardly he knew you probably would not like my apology anyway but <laughs> I really appreciated Angel making a second attempt to apologize and bringing donuts because yes. I think donuts are part of Angel's love language. And <laughs> they are. They are because he's not a food guy, obviously. Right. You know, and right. yet he brought donuts, something he that he knew donuts. that Merle would appreciate. Yeah. yeah. When he doesn't know how to feed people, that's what he brings. And, right. and I really like the snark of like when, when Gunn showed up to Merle's apartment and, uh-huh. you know, it's like this big crime scene. And Angel yeah. says, well, so far we've ruled out suicide. Like, <laughs> it was so funny to me. Um, and I liked his his like indignation at Cordy thinking that he curl he, that he killed Merle. Yeah. He was like, oh sure, I went dark and killed Merle. Like, why would I have brought donuts? <laughs> it was so cute. <laughs> it was I know. so cute. I know it's really nice. And I love that opening too, where you know we open with Angel apologizing to Merle. And we have this close up on Angel and who do we th- who are we supposed to think he's talking to? Like okay. I, mean, I guess I thought it was Darla. Yeah, like Darla or so, yeah, I used you and I threw you away and all this kind of stuff because we know Darla is coming. We've we've had a couple of episodes without any mention of her, so it's she's obviously traveling, you know, right? Um, but, <laughs> Which is a uh, bitch after the eighth month, so it's going to oh, take her a while. Seriously, <laughs> seriously, <laughs> pregnant vampire traveling—that is something that is not going to go over well, you know. Um, but here he is, you know, talking to to Merle and trying to get this apology in, and of course he's not he's not doing it you know well um and uh, and it's funny too like you know when they're in uh caritas and an angel's like yeah merle take a shot go ahead take a shot and gun is in the background just laughing <laughs> <laughs> which yeah, i was... absolutely loved i thought that was great so there's there's a lot of stuff here that i think is um is really good and really fun you know there's mm-hmm. uh, but there's also a lot of depth in this episode it's funny because it has so many things that i like it has strong narrative line you know yeah. we're we're going through this whole we got fun character moments but there's just something like this this episode doesn't delight me in a lot of ways i, know. I respect me it too. i think it's good me too. 
but yeah. it, it fails to delight me. And that's all right yeah. because sometimes you don't need things to be delightful. It's just the fact that it's good is good, you know? Yeah. And I guess there were moments, although I don't think delight is the right word, but like yeah. when at the very end, you know, when Angel tells Gunn, no, you know, one day you'll have to kill me. I was mm-hmm. like, that is the angel I love. I mean, there are many yes. versions of angel I yes. love, but this mm-hmm. one resonates with me because he seems as old as he really is in those kind of moments you know he's Mm -hmm. wise he's unyielding he's direct and honest and he's not cold or angry but he's like a force to be reckoned with and there's a storm brewing under that surface and like yeah there's something about that angel this like very hard reality of one day Mm -hmm. you're going to have to kill me and I am at peace with that and I need you to do your job yeah, that mm-hmm. just speaks to me about his character. Um, but then, of course, I had to make all the jokes over the fury. I mean, um, oh, over right. the furies, you know, and the mm, angel, which I was like, <laughs> okay, like, it's not really fair to barter in sexual favors to lift a sanctuary spell. Right. And, and and it sounds like they have some still thirsty plans for angel. But I, I think also don't know that I blame him that much because you know Angel learned a lot from Darla and and he probably has skills that can be applied in very creative ways <laughs> so yeah I think I'm Cordy bartering off Angel as a sexual object to these furies is is a little bit weird um yeah. but Angel knows like when he sent Cordy in like he knows. He knows what these women are going to want from him. So I, I presume that that will be a, a consensual thing. Right. And at least nobody made the angel can't have sex joke in this one. Right. So right. we got through one episode without it. At least we got that. <laughs> I did think it was really cute when Cordy said, will they remember you? And he's like, they should. <laughs> they should. <laughs> I have a feeling it may not be the first time that Angel's had an afternoon with these ladies. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> and you know what? Good for him. If everybody yep. consents, it's all great. That's get your right. get your floaty girl on. I think that's awesome. Yeah, and maybe if you divide moments of perfect happiness by three, you don't lose your soul. I, maybe. I, right. <laughs> One, two, three. Boom. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. <laughs> something about it cracked me up right okay so for stake this what do you Mm -hmm. have for that okay so i i wrote in my notes holy hell the crew attacks caritas with guns yeah how did i not remember this and Mm. i that level of violence was disturbing as hell which and i realize how naive that sounds on this show where we have seen incredible violence and cruelty but to me guns don't fit on this show like it shakes the story world Mm -hmm. for me and why do they need guns anyway like since when do we fight vamps and demons with semi-automatic weapons and they do it's all about unearned power semi-automatic weapons are the absolute pinnacle you know um, representation of unearned power and that's what these guys have done and the thing is is that this this crew has been doing noble work of putting their lives on the line, protecting a community that nobody else will protect. You know, they've been doing good work. Um, And so I think that like all of this ends up in, in my stake this for the following reasons. Like I love, I love guns, divided loyalty. I love that he is looking at his community and the fact that he couldn't, he couldn't be there anymore. He didn't choose Angel because he chose Angel. Right. He went to Angel because every time he's back with this group, he's thinking, I couldn't even keep my sister safe. 
Mm-hmm. You know, he can't go through that again. He just can't. And so he's Angel is really less about choosing to go to Angel more than running away to Angel. And I really like that we got that clarity in this episode. Um, but what I didn't like is that Geo is really a caricature, you know, mm-hmm. of your classic bad guy. And I really would have appreciated it if we hadn't treated Gun's old crew like a gang Mm-hmm. which is utilizing, you know, racist dog whistling language from, you know, from the 60s, from Nixon, you know. This is yeah. the kind of shit that Nixon would have pulled, you know. Um, and, and associating, like, any group of black men is a street gang. This is not a street gang. Right. This is a team of people that are protecting a neighborhood, and they have honor, you know, and so when we, even in the title, to call it that old gang of mine, like I understand that it's, you know, pulling off of, of you know, pop cultural, you know, references or whatever, but, but it just, to associate the word gang, it's like the word thug, you know, it's associated with black men, people of color, and, and for me, I felt like that did a disservice to who these guys were. Um, and then, like, in addition to that, um, I love Gunn feeling divided. I love him feeling like no matter what, he's going to betray someone. I love him dealing with the trauma of losing his sister. I think all of that is good. Um, but we have Geo coming in, right? Mm-hmm. And being just a ridiculous caricature of evil, right? Um, going through all of this stuff, killing all of the demons, you know, um, being wild and reckless in this, in this vigilante, you know, this, this, rather than being defensive of the, um, you know, of the neighborhood, they're being offensive. They're going out and just killing everything. And we had this moment where Lauren read him and I thought that that was really great, but what I would have loved so much more is if we could have complicated that a bit is if what Lauren saw was Geo losing the person who meant the most to him, you know, to a demon. And oh, he ca- and yeah. he runs away the way that Gunn ran away. And yeah. he goes to another community and kills every demon because mm-hmm. he was unable to kill the one that killed his sister, killed his girlfriend, killed his wife, his kids, whatever, right? Yeah. And then if you have sympathy for Geo, that makes this choice for Gun that much harder. It also makes the way that everybody in that team, you know, like fought with him, fought with Geo, mm-hmm. a little easier to understand. Like Geo's comes in there, he just takes over. Rondell, all the other guys just let him, you know. This yeah. guy from out of town who has nothing to do with anything in their neighborhood who they don't know, you know. Like I mean, I think he might have been some like somebody knew him, but but. It would have been, I think, so much better if you saw, instead of Lorne reading Geo's, you know, depravity, if he read his pain, you know, and then if Geo hit him, you know, like that would have been something that you could completely understand. And you could see why Rondell and the other guys would follow behind this guy, you know. But as it is, Rondell and these these warriors who are out there, like, protecting this neighborhood look like dupes. You know, yeah. they look like they just some guy with a strong personality came in and they just let him take over, you know, oh, without gosh. really thinking yeah. about that. So I think that, that would have been a lot better. 
that would have fixed so much of what bothers the story for me yeah so much Mm -hmm. because one of the things that bothered me most about Chio is you know he's so cruel and violent and he's taking so much delight in that Mm -hmm. but he wants to make other people the same way so he's like kill this vamp if you want to live and so forcing inhumane action on other humans is like a whole different level of evil yeah to me like you're getting into psychopathic territory there yeah and it it just bothered me so much and i do have research questions about him um Mm -hmm. and his relationship to gun but if they had written it the way you just said it would have taken care of a lot of what bothers me yeah and i think making him a doppelganger for um for gun yeah. You know, like a doppelganger antagonist that, that, but for one choice, they could be the same guy. Yeah. You know, I would have liked to see Geo be smart and mm-hmm. charming the way that Gunn is. I would like yeah. him to be, you know, like he's, if he had suffered a trauma like that and all he could see was how evil, you know, all of the demons were. And then in that moment, because I don't want to lose that moment with Fred where he's saying, you know, you have to kill one. Like if he, if that was the way he fought back. You know, right. And was like, you want to get out of here? You got to kill one of these guys. You got to show me whose side you're on. I don't believe any of you. If he had been betrayed, if we had gotten a little bit of that backstory, if we had mm-hmm. seen him suffering a trauma and gun seeing that he had a choice to make, too, you know, yeah. and but for one fatal choice, they would be the same guy. You know, that's what I want to see. But instead, we we cut him down to this single layer, you know, just crazy bad guy looking for violence and who had mm-hmm. obviously done something truly terrible in Miami, yeah. you know, instead of running from his pain, which I think would be more understandable and treating, you know, these this group of guys as a street gang mm-hmm. bothers me because yeah. I don't think that honors what it is that they're doing in a neighborhood where the police can't protect them or won't protect them. You know, right. um, they need to do that. And they were honorable when Gunn was there. And I think that if you could take Geo and make him somebody that you could really feel for, Mm-hmm. You know, um, that this this has a lot more emotional weight to it. And if gun, I mean, God, one of the best things that you can do, you know, for a character is get a reflective antagonist, you know, a doppelganger antagonist. But for the choice of one choice, you know, they would be the same mm-hmm. like that would have been really interesting. And I think would have pulled more out of the story for gun. But the other thing that I, I really don't like the um, the automatic weapons shooting up a nightclub, yes. obviously, God. you know, like culturally in America, we are suffering a huge amount of trauma from experiences exactly like this. Culturally, we are experiencing a huge amount of trauma from this. Um, and this was, you know, 2001. So it was after Columbine, but before so many of the mass shootings that we've had. But the problem for me with this is that we have a bunch of black men with automatic weapons shooting up a bar. And I I realized this was written before we had the experience that we've had, but you know, in, in America, it is almost always white men. Yeah. You know, picking up that unearned power, shooting people and then killing themselves, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, like, I think that I was, I'm unable to get a distance from that to be able to look at this within the time yeah. where it was, you know, where it happened, where that wasn't, God, a weekly, a monthly occurrence, yeah. you know? Um, and so it's because of the cultural trauma of that, even though obviously at this time, these writers could not have foreseen that. 
Um, I may, maybe they could have, but, you know, um, but at that time we didn't have that kind of regular experience the way that we're having now. Um, and so for me, like having this thing that, you know, predominantly, and I mean like 90% of these shootings that is predominantly a white man's violence, Mm -hmm. um, and, and often terrorist violence you know they're attacking communities of color they're attacking you know um jewish people they're attacking like they're you know it's it's really really devastating right now and there's a lot of trauma with that and so to see that for me uh was was really hard because it, it was that kind of violence was put in the hands of of black people which felt to me like just adding insult to injury even though that's in the past, like these, it, it hadn't happened. That stuff hadn't happened to that extent at that time, you right. know, but now it was really a problem for me in this episode. It really threw me out of it. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that. And that's probably mm-hmm. one of the reasons it was so difficult to watch and yeah. why I felt so shaky afterwards. Um, mm-hmm. My last stake, this is a small thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it has nothing to do with violence or anything like that. But I think this is another attempted joke. That yeah. just, it just pisses me off because, I mean, come on. When Cordy yeah. tells Fred, Angel wants you to get out. Yes, I'm like, no, I hate that. I hate, like, she would not say that. She would exactly. not say it like that. She would say Angel wants you to get out more. But they right. wanted to have that misunderstanding. But Fred's heartbreak. Yeah. I mean, my God. I, I just, I hated that so much. I was yeah. like, oh, come on. Please learn how to write Cordelia. Mm-hmm. She is not Absolutely. doing that. And and I liked that we see better Cordy and Fred mm-hmm. here. I like Cordy's, you know, worry. I, I told yeah. her she was safe with me. Like The relationship she is much better now. Yeah, it's much better. But that line, I was like, oh, come on. Like, yeah. really? It just pissed me off. <laughs> no, that was that was not good. That was definitely not good. Um, yeah. So uh, where are you in research mode? I mean, mostly I think in research mode, I came down on uh, the human violence yeah. in Caritas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've established that people are just as bad as demons a lot of the time, you know. So how did Lorne as a demon only protect Caritas against demon violence? Yeah. I mean, you know, he's a demon. If anybody knows, like, clearly sees clearly what humans can do, what evil humans can do, I mean, it's Lorne. So why would he only do that? I don't know. Did that make sense to you? No, I I actually had originally put that in my stake this section because I was like, okay, this spell makes no sense. Why? (laughs) Like, in a sanctuary, in a world populated by people who are not predominantly known for their peaceful behavior, why would you only defend against demon violence mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. i it did makes no sense to me i don't understand i guess because it's supposed to be a demon bar and maybe there aren't supposed to be that many humans yeah in but it. i mean he's opened the doors but to wolf and heart like that why alone. not just all kinds of violence why <laughs> yeah. does it have to be specifically demon, demon violence, violence. Are, are demons the only ones who can be controlled by that kind of magic I mean, that doesn't make any sense either. It doesn't. Like, I, I, I don't know. The rules of magic in this world has never been clear to me. But I hope that they redo the spell and make it a much broader statement. Yes, exactly. No violence in Caritas, period. The Get end. a lawyer from Wolfram and Hart in there to like, figure <laughs> out the language and make sure it covers everything. Because damn, Lorne. <laughs> I mean, right? 
that's kind of yeah. a big oversight. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I just thought yeah. that was bizarre. Yeah, I thought it was pretty weird too. And also Cordy, you know, uh, promising the Furies angel, you know, sex with angel basically mm-hmm. as, the, <laughs> as the reward for, you know, because we have this whole thing and it comes up all the time and Cordy's always saying it and I hate it, but like this thing about angel can't have sex. And yet in that moment, she's like, yeah, sure. No problem. He'll come here and service you guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> Although I guess, I guess he knew. I guess he knew when he said Cordy oh, what I, he was getting in for. I think he knew exactly what he was in for. Right. But, I, <laughs> but but it did strike me. So when the Furies were initially arguing against lifting the yeah. spell, they said this was done on consent and contract. And yet they're requesting something that doesn't seem to be enthusiastic consent to me. Well, Unless maybe. Angel actually doesn't mind so much. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it is it is a little weird. It is a little weird. But I don't know. That was just one of the, the questions that I had. So what about you? What other questions do you have for research? Okay, so Angel thinks that the killer wants to have fun. So I was wondering at what point in this life of a warrior does fighting turn to hunting turn to fun? You know, I think that there's something about like, you know how I'm always saying like, I love a a love story between a person and their work. Yeah. You know? Um, and I think that maybe if you're really good at something, right? Um, you're really good at being a warrior. And I mean, I, I can't imagine that there are any dull days, you know, in the neighborhood <laughs> that you're trying to protect from vampires. There's got to always be like, you know, things to kill. But maybe going on the offensive, maybe if you're really good at being that kind of warrior, um, and you're getting to enjoy killing and you don't want to kill humans. You know, if you have a murderous streak, if you've got a Dexter thing going on, you know, mm-hmm. um, that maybe that's where it becomes fun. And maybe like, I-, I don't know, like, is there ever anything that you've been really good at that you didn't enjoy? Hmm. You know, I mean, I wonder about that. Yeah. Because yeah. I think when I'm good at something, I enjoy doing it because there's something about the craft of it, right. you know, that makes it kind of fun. And so when you get really good, when the thing you get good at is killing, mm-hmm. you know, what happens? And I think it's a really interesting, like, philosophical question. Yeah. So, like, competence without discrimination, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of a theme sometimes on angel and we see right. this. Well, what happens when you're really good at a terrible thing it's like breaking bad right i mean that's right. kind of one of the core questions of breaking bad mm-hmm. what happens when you're really good at a terrible thing yeah. you know it does it become addictive when you're good at something mm-hmm. a love between somebody and their work i think that that's interesting oh i do too oh and i can't wait to apply that framework to lila oh this is oh lila <laughs> I love See, it. We got mm, oh, Angel and oh, mm, Lila. Lila. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God>. Lord. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I like right, Thirsty so what Bonnie. Else, what else do you have for, okay. uh, for our research questions? So I had research questions about Gio. Because mm-hmm. has he been following Gunn? Like, mm. how did he know Gunn was at Caritas? How did he know Gunn had been hanging out there for a long time? And I know you talked about Geo as like a doppelganger for Gunn, but I was starting to see him potentially as a doppelganger for Lorne because Ooh. he seemed able to read people in a very twisted way. 
-hmm. Like the way that he was goading Gunn about his sister and the questions that he was raising there were like, they weren't accurate, but they could have been emotionally true. And it takes like some depth to get there, but it was, it was so dark and twisted and like him wanting Gunn to kill Angel. Like, first of all, why, why is Mm -hmm. Gio so emotionally invested in Gun or, you know, his perception of Gun and Angel. And I was really fascinated by that because he seemed to have this, like, really deep understanding of Gun. Yeah. And I don't yeah. know where that came from or, you know, like, how did he know the right. things that he knew? And the only moment that we saw him afraid was when Lorne read him. And so... When it was, yeah. you know, Gun versus Geo, I think Geo was dominant. But it went, when it was Geo versus Lorne, they seemed to be equals. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I was just no, really, that's really interesting. Yeah, I was really fascinated by that. And that could have been an interesting thing too. Like, what if he had had to make himself part demon? Yes. In order to fight the demons, like, right. what if that had been part of his background? Because that's, but I think that would shift that that focus and that internal conflict to Geo. Yeah. You know, because that's but I mean, that could have been an interesting way to go with this as well. Like there there could have been more interesting things done with Geo, but we paint him just as a, you know, power hungry, um, you know, violent mm-hmm. guy. And that's so much flatter than what we could have done. And because this is Gunn's story, I would rather see him as a doppelganger for Gunn. But that yeah. could have been another really interesting way to go you know, I'm I'm so dedicated to this cause that I made myself part demon yeah, to be able to fight been. it. You know, like that kind mm-hmm. of, of yep. obsessive dedication to the task. That could have been really interesting. Yeah. He just reminded me of Lorne. He seemed to have yeah. a read, even though insight. it was a very dark, twisted read. But he, you know, he was also on stage. He was singing. Mm-hmm. He was performing. A lot of the way that he was interacting with people was performative. Like, he was performing dark, twisty evil. And I don't know. I just thought it was really cool. But the the other big research question I had was, we have the two demons who are, you know, being held hostage. And one of them is praying. You know, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, they're going to kill us all. Oh, God. And the second demon says, shut up. He ain't listening. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so demons believe in a God. And what kind of religious reference is that? Was that demon actually praying or was he just, mm-hmm. you know, reacting? Yeah, just picking up a cultural kind of thing that people say. Right. But I thought that that was also a very interesting space that we could have opened yeah. that we really didn't. Yeah. This idea that these, that demons have a spiritual yeah. space as well, which further serves to humanize them. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and it conflicts so much with the fact that no one was really overly concerned about the demons who were killed. Mm-hmm. Like the the moment I hated the most was when Gunn in that moment of fury facing Geo and talking about his sister shoots yeah. the demon who's just standing against the wall. And right. But we had coded that demon as purely evil. Like he was talking about eating babies. Yeah. But I had a question about that. Yeah. So mm-hmm. they accuse him of, of eating babies. And then he mm-hmm. goes on that. He's got that monologue, right, about yeah. how he's going to eat all these babies. And mm-hmm. I was thinking, does he actually do that? Or was he giving a hard fuck you to that stereotype? Right. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know exactly which one of those two things 
was true. We won't know. And because you know, we, we won't know. know. But I mean, right. he was at Caritas. Right. So like the demons that go to Caritas to sing karaoke and have their souls read. Right. Like that, I think in, in, in itself speaks to an essential goodness and, and, you know, humanity in them. Yeah. I mean, they're um, there for sanctuary, which implies a level of humanity to me. And so like, I think when we see all these demons who, by the way, were all coded male again. Yes. um, Mm -hmm. Is a lack of a soul implied And does that lack of a soul make the life less valuable? Because those lives are not less valuable to Lorne. And also, Mm -hmm. demons don't have any more choice about being in the world here than humans do. Right. So I just just thought it was really interesting. But nothing came from Gunn shooting that demon. Like, there was no... Hey right. man, because, because we need he to... was talking about eating babies. Yeah, I guess he was I talking guess. about eating babies, and that was the that was what they did to make him evil. Yeah, but yeah, you're right though. Was he just, you know, giving these guys a hard time? Was he maybe not a bad guy? Yeah, I just wondered because I was like, I don't right. know that I fully bought that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I don't know. It was just very complicated and nuanced and the. The questions of which lives are considered good and which ones are not and why, especially for that to be all in Caritas. I think it just raises a lot of really interesting questions. No, it really does. All right. So you ready to give us one to brood on for that old gang of mine? I am. So this old gang of mine is a thoughtful, smart, disturbing part of Gunn's story. We deemed it a skipper because it doesn't move the main angel storyline forward much, but it's still recommended viewing because of the small story moments, character development, and the questions that it raises. Absolutely. I think it's totally worth watching, as is our next episode that we're going to discuss, Carpe Noctum. In Carpe Noctum, Angel and the crew check out a series of hot men suddenly reduced to smoking skin bags after enjoying a few days of uncharacteristic wild behavior. When Angel goes to talk to Marcus, a resident in the nursing home across the street from the gym where all the victims worked out, Marcus recites an incantation and suddenly Angel is the old guy. While Angel tries to escape the nursing home, Marcus has some fun playing as Angel. He hits on Cordy, asks Fred out on a date, and then makes out with Lila on the desk, at which point he bites her. Realizing that he's a vampire, and now he will be young and strong forever, Marcus decides to go back to the nursing home and do away with Angel. But Cordy, Wesley, Gunn, and Fred figure it out and go to the nursing home and reverse the spell. As they leave, Marcus has a fifth and presumably final heart attack. Back at the hotel, Angel tries to let Fred down easy, and as they're talking, Cordelia comes out of the Hyperion to tell Angel that Willow just called. Buffy is alive. Carpe Noctum aired on October 15th, 2001. It was directed by James A. Contner and written by Scott Murphy. All right, so Dr. Jones, on the perfect happiness scale, where does Carpe Noctum fall for you? Do I gave this a full five. Um, this episode <laughs> delighted me to no end. Even the bad jokes are pretty funny. Mm-hmm. And David Boreanaz's talent just shines here. Yeah. But Angel and Lila making out on Wes's desk was sheer and total perfection. 
It was. It was so wonderful. I gave it a five, too. I gave Woo! it a five, too. No Muppets, and yet still a five. Um, this is such a fun episode. It's really only a skipper because it doesn't move the big story forward, but it is definitely worth watching, and I would highly recommend it. Um, I love the body swap. It is mm-hmm. always fun to see David Boreanaz do something that's not brooding. Um, generally, I don't like misunderstanding jokes or that kind of conflict because they require a buy-in that the people involved wouldn't ask the right questions or clear things up. But in this case, it was all well-motivated, and that made it so much fun. I had such a great time with this. I am so glad that you did. So where were your moments of perfect happiness? Oh, God. Well, first of all, I love a good body swap story that mm-hmm. is always, always fun. Um, so fun, again, whenever David Boreanaz gets to step outside of that classic angel character that is always delightful for me. And the thing is, is that usually I don't like the gay panic jokes, you mm-hmm. know, because they imply that being gay is bad. But in that moment when he says, so I'm a, and he looks down at how stylish Angel is and says, well, obviously, you know, because he's <laughs> Thanks because Cordy said, you know, you have to go talk to Fred. Um, that was really great. And I mean, yeah, it's a stereotype that all gay men are stylish. But this guy, Marcus, that character would believe in those stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, you know. So if a good joke is in bad taste, I'm still going to like it. I've just proven <laughs> that. <laughs> And I love this moment when Wesley comes in. He says, there's something about brewed tea you just can't replicate with a bag. And then he (laughs) presumes that Wesley is gay, you know, and he thinks that Wesley is Fred and he does this whole thing. And actually, like, I mean, Marcus, for all of his badness, doesn't seem to judge the gayness. It's just not him. So he's just trying to get out of it, you Mm -hmm. know, but he doesn't seem to have a whole lot of judgment for it. And so in that case, like, I don't mind the gay jokes if they're not gay panic jokes, if they are not situated on the presumption that being gay is bad it's just not what he is you know and then at the end he's like hey let's have a hug and while he's hugging Wesley (laughs) then somebody says Fred is a girl and he's like oh okay but I mean he gave Wesley a hug and was trying to let him down easy and be kind of nice about it and I actually really kind of liked that Mm -hmm. um i also of course loved angel with lila Mm -hmm. don't tell me you've never thought about it and i was like hell yeah i thought about it (laughs) yes i got a vibrator at home named angel (laughs) (laughs) and i have another one named angelus I know, seriously. And I mean, like, I love them tearing each other apart on the desk. And then Fred walks in and that was so nicely, you know, like the way that all of the elements of this story played on each other Mm -hmm. was really great. And then, of course, he bites Lila Mm -hmm. just out of instinct. And he's like, oh, I'm a vampire. And he finally figures it out. But I mean, it's wonderful. It was so good. And I think... Mm -hmm. Now, Lonnie Diane Rich making a vibrator joke it goes in my moment for perfect happiness. But, <laughs> but Angel saying, honey, I've never been better. Like Angel mm-hmm. saying the word honey is one of my mm-hmm. all-time favorite things. Oh, I know. And, and when he was getting, you know, Wes confused and being like, I need to talk to you. And Wes was like, yeah. Angel, whatever it is, you know, I'm here for you. And I was like, oh, I, I love yeah. Even Dark Wesley has a nice side. He does. And Martini drinking Angel was fucking delightful. Look at that. (laughs) That was so great. I loved it. Mm -hmm. Do you like olives? And 
Yeah. When, <laughs> when Lila came in and he was like, what can I do for you? And I was like, dude, I have been waiting on this. <laughs> yes. I love all of it. It's so fantastic. And David Boreanaz, like, cause he's so, he's so angel to me. He is always angel to me. Mm-hmm. Seeing him do something that is not broody, you know, I feel terrible. I'm just, you know, angel plodding through life. Um, but when he gets to play delight, like whenever angel is angelus, like yeah. I am delighted by David Boreanaz. Yeah. He's so great. And, and so I great. loved it. Like, I mean, I did feel terrible for Fred and her, I should have knocked. Yeah. Oh, it's so sad. But like the the Marcus Angel, you know, when he bites Lila and he's like, this is new. And he runs to the mirror and there's no reflection. Like Marcus's reaction to being a vampire was delightful. And I know I love when he went to the nightclub and he was kind of dancing around and trolling. Like (laughs) I loved David (laughs) Boreanaz and that and those leather pants. We got leather pants without Angelus. It was great. (laughs) And the thing is, did he go out shopping and update the wardrobe, or did Angel have a pair of leather pants in his in his closet? I, I think <laughs> Angelus has a box stored away, of like a clothes uh, box that's uh, labeled Angelus. Uh, uh, He's got all the leather <laughs> in there. Oh my god, I love. You that. never know when you're going to turn. You yeah. keep your seasonal mm-hmm. clothes in storage, but yeah, you, know. you might as well have and, those set aside. Yeah. sure. <laughs> And when he punches that guy at the club and he's like, nice. Like he was, and then I he, know. he Batman down. <laughs> and I was like, yes, he's having so much fun as a vampire. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I'm going to be young, handsome and strong forever. And Aww. I just, I thought it was so great. And he tells, <laughs> later he tells Angel, he's like, I think you're the world's worst vampire. Like, dude, this right. is, this is freaking awesome. And you don't like it. I know. <laughs> I know. And this is the thing is that Marcus also has a soul. Yeah. He's a bad guy. But Mm -hmm. like it just again is more textual evidence for this idea that the soul ain't nothing. It's what you do with it. Right. Absolutely. You know. And I I had some non angel moments too that I really loved. Yes. I loved Mm -hmm. at the beginning with Fred. She was like so everybody's just reading and hanging out. And I was like, yeah. uh, yes, and I want to be there with that, too. That was great. And I know. <laughs> a bunch of people that could read together. Yeah. And Lila and Gavin, like, I can't wait to see yes. how Gavin tries to earn her respect. But when she oh. told her assistant, she was like, find the graphic artist. Look look under F for forger. Oh <laughs> <laughs> I love it so no, much. It. And when Fred was trying to tell them about Angel making out with Lila and she was like, "No, mm-hmm. not a blonde, a brunette." And Cordelia was like, mm-hmm. "Oh, you're right. This isn't like him. This is like <laughs> him. <was> so funny." <laughs> and I really loved again seeing how truly fucking smart Wesley is because he's like, "Why would Angel or Angelus need to read about vampires? Like he's so you observant. Know, yeah. He is the detective. Yeah, like he looks at everything and he sees." everything and i love that about wesley i did too and then my last Mm -hmm. little moment of sheer delight came from fred when they had at the end angel was like unconscious i mean marcus angel you know was like and she still hit him one extra time with the bat Uh, and i was like it's all right baby i think she earned it (laughs) i know but she was hitting marcus you know because marcus was the one who did this i know it was was really great (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I loved so much in this. I loved in the beginning when Fred is talking about Angel, mm-hmm. you know, and <laughs> she's talking about the awkward silences and Wesley's like, no, that's never happened to me. And then, of course, that's followed by an awkward <laughs> silence. It's so adorable. Um, I love Gavin Park. Anytime you bring Daniel Day Kim into anything, it is delightful. Mm-hmm. He is wonderful. And I don't care. Like, I don't think that Gavin Park as a character is really that interesting. But damn, Daniel Day Kim makes it interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I love him for that. Um, I, you know, we have this moment, too, where Gunn and Wesley are arguing over who interviews the prostitutes. Yeah. Which is, like, not my favorite thing. But it does set up a good joke. And again, once again, I get to display that if a joke <laughs> is in bad taste, but it's well written, I will like it. Um, you know, when Cordy says, are there any men who aren't dogs? <laughs> and Angel goes, not very many, I'm afraid. But that's Marcus, actually, as Angel. Um just wonderful. I love that. I love the fact that Marcus has one line. Have I ever told you you're a very beautiful woman? <laughs> <laughs> and he uses it on everybody. everybody. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> God, it's just wonderful. And then, of course, you know, Angel is Marcus, mm-hmm. right? And Angel, the experience of being human mm-hmm. doesn't happen to him very much. But whenever it does, he's like, I can taste food. My heart is beating. I can go out in the sun. And this time he's like, nope, this is shit ain't working for me. <laughs> Yeah, this, this, this it's like fun. I don't want to be old. <laughs> yeah, God, I loved, I loved so much in this episode. I actually didn't have much of anything for steak. This, did you have anything? I didn't have anything real to steak. I had one yeah. smartass pretend steak mm-hmm. because it is a total bummer when you are on the fourth round of a threesome and your anti-aging spell stops I working. Know, right? Like I. <laughs> I don't know why there was just something about that that cracked me up. <laughs> I know it is hilarious. It's like, oh man, man. here I have these prostitutes. I've got the martinis going, and yet, yeah. you know, it just it just sucks. I really do feel for Marcus I mean, in that moment. It was just kind of sad. <laughs> yeah, no, I just um, the human skin bag. Yeah, not a big fan of that. That was really weird and gross. Um, you know, and a Cordy making the eunuch joke. So again, yeah. we're going back to this idea that Angel can't have sex. Angel can totally have sex. He obviously just had a foursome with Furies. <laughs> so whatever, you know. Um, and you know, and I also didn't like like there was this the we had the guy who was taking care of um you know of the the elderly people at the nursing home mm-hmm. and when he talks to marcus he goes there go your phone privileges for the rest of the month and i'm like why are you treating these people like children? yeah i did not I like mean, ryan yeah no that was really gross mm-hmm. so there was something about that that was deeply deeply disturbing and yet i think we were textually expected to accept that as acceptable you know um, and I didn't like that. No. I didn't like the way that they were treating the, the elderly in this, in this home. So no. that was pretty shitty. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then there was that line at the end, you know, where Angel says, I tell you why you have a weak heart, Marcus, you never use it. And I'm like, Ugh, ah! that is a, that is a, the more, you know, kind of <laughs> line. Like I was waiting for that star, that shooting star to go across the screen <laughs> with the peacock rainbow for the, for right. NBC. It was just, it was not, it was not a good line. And I really would have loved anything else for Angel to say in that right. moment. Here's what's hilarious. And I yes. say this podcasting with wine. I like that line. <laughs> oh, no, I did. I'm glad like, you liked it. I was 
like, oh, Angel's being all touchy-feely. And <laughs> I thought it was cheesy AF. But, you know, that's, but that's good, though. I'm glad that you liked it. <laughs> well, and I liked it because it brought us back into love as a research question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, so if we shift into research mode, Angel, yeah. I think, being Marcus really yes. got a sense that this is a human who doesn't love anyone. And yeah. so having a soul is not like it, he might as well have said, you know, you have a, a weak soul because you don't use it or, or like right. making that choice of not having love, not loving anyone coming yeah. from angel. Like if it had come from mm-hmm. anyone else, I wouldn't have liked it. But coming from yeah. angel, I did. Because we're seeing him open back up to love in different ways. And then we have that conversation between him and Fred. And she Mm -hmm. describes Angel as the man who can have everything but love. And she says that not knowing about Buffy. Which I also thought was was really interesting. And, Mm -hmm. And then she's like, well, maybe you're better off. Because love in some ways is everything. But it's also heartache and disappointment. And those are good things to avoid. Yeah. And and I liked mm-hmm. Fred's, you know, kind of objective, like, here's the pro list and here's the con list. And like, yeah. <laughs> like that, yeah. that was mm-hmm. really good. But in that moment, you know, talking about love again is when Angel finds out that his love is alive again. Mm-hmm. And I thought mm-hmm. that was beautiful. Yeah. So, and I'm a romantic who's had wine. It worked for me. <laughs> well, I'm glad it worked for you. <laughs> Did you have anything else for research mode? Yes. I really wondered what it's like for Angel to be in a body that looks and feels old. Because yeah. he's much, much older than Marcus, but he doesn't deal with aging within a human body. Right. He doesn't He doesn't deal with physical aging. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I just really wondered what was that like for him. I mean, we saw that it was difficult to move around. We saw him looking in mm-hmm. the mirror. But I don't know that we saw him grappling with that. And, like, did it give him some appreciation for being young and strong and handsome forever? Right. We didn't address his human experience. Right. At all in this. And and usually when Angel is turned human, we address what that is. And he's always delighted. But he's also always young. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was really interesting. No, that is really interesting. All right, I'm going to give us one to brood on. Carpe Noctum is one of my favorite Angel episodes. It is just plain fun with a little bit of bigger story happening with Fred's emotional arc, but not really enough to make it a watcher. But at this point, the skipper-watcher split is really just about the big story, and if you're this far into Angel, you probably don't need that anymore. Um, We'll keep it going. You know, we'll give you skippers and watchers, but if you don't want to skip from here on out, then don't, because there are a lot of episodes definitely worth watching all right so dr jones what is making you thirsty this week lonnie yeah have i ever told you that you're a very beautiful woman (laughs) (laughs) did you did you fall for that line (laughs) no my my thirsty level doesn't go that low (laughs) right just delighted me Um, I think in this episode, Wesley's competence and evidence analysis is hot. Yes. No, it is. It is. Smart is sexy. Yeah. And Wesley is very, very sexy. Yeah. Yeah. Rumpled so. hair, mm-hmm. everything. He's got it going on. Yep. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Dr. Jones, what is your favorite part? Oh, Angel to Lila. 
Don't tell me you never yes. thought about it because hell yes, she uh, has. <laughs> well, all right. We have the same favorite part this week. I loved Angel and Lila on the desk. That is honestly one of my favorite moments in the entire series. Um, it was the only way that these two characters were ever going to have that moment. And I love the fact that Lila was like, hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> All right, folks, that wraps us up for today. To join in the discussion on Twitter, follow Lonnie at Lonnie Diane Rich and me at Dr. Kelly Jones and use the hashtag StillDead. For more in-depth discussion, visit the Chipperish forums. Go to chipperish.com, click on forum, and join in the fun. Or you can support Chipperish Media to the tune of a dollar a month or more and gain access to the live chat and Discord where you can hang out with me and Kelly and all the Chipperish patrons who would totally make out with Lila and Wesley's desk. <laughs> visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more you can also show your support for still dead by going to apple podcasts and giving us a review that's one of the most effective ways to show support for your favorite podcast or you can use your social media platform of choice to tell your friends word of mouth is a powerful thing and to say thanks to our rogue demon hunters who take the time to write five soul reviews we turn to the prophecy scrolls I'm writing these in reverse chronological order so post your review and you'll hear your prophecy soon for beaker sarah amy Before this year fades into the next and the new year draws upon us, we must pay tribute to the mythical forces behind Still Dead, otherwise known as our podcasting mythic heroine, Lonnie Diane Rich. For this (laughs) annual celebration, henceforth entitled Chipper Comshuck, Dark Wesley will make tea and distract Lonnie for a few hours while a team of dedicated supporters write a screenplay made specifically to delight her. The powers that be have called upon you, dear one, to lead this creative effort. Your premise, if you choose to accept it, is a body swap episode with Angel and Spike. How will our brooding hero behave in the body of our beloved Blondie Bear? How will our passionate poet survive the truly terrible sex curse? All the bonus points if you can get Angel to say, out for a walk, bitch, and eat Weetabix and mean it. We've booked the stage at Caritas for this performance. Lila's bringing the popcorn for everyone, and we can't wait to see how this plays out. Have fun writing the scroll, darling. I think Wesley will have a damn good time reading it. Oh, my God. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely want that one. We will be back next time with episodes five and six of season three, Fredless, which is a skipper, and Billy, which is a watcher. Until then, you'll prove we can trust you the day you have to kill us. And you do. Mm, Angel.